Anybody else reading about Turkey and Syria? Oh, it just hits your heart. I mean, it is crazy. And we're talking tens of thousands of people dying. And have you ever done, like when you go to the whatever news site you go to, pick your poison, what side? <laughs> but, but you'll read about news happening in your own country, but then there's the world section. Have you ever read through the world section? I mean, it gets really heavy really fast. I mean, with 8 billion people on this earth and the horrific things that are happening all over this world. And so much of it just feels just uh, even like the violence, the senseless violence and, and murders and, and casualties and things that are happening around the world. But then we also know uh, in our own lives, you're walking through things that are are hard and, and horrific. And I even think about uh, Friday, Pastor Randy and Jesse and I, I got to um, be a part of something you never want to be a part of, but also it was important to, to be there. Uh, the little boy, Jackson, that you guys have been praying for, passed away on Friday. You know, just two-month-old baby. And uh, the great-grandparents are here today in the service. Uh, it's just a beautiful part of our church. And, and Jackson's dad, I got the privilege of baptizing Jackson's dad back in the day. And George is an awesome, awesome guy that we love. And his precious wife, Kinsey, this is a young couple, 24 and 21 years old, uh, having to walk through this. And so if we could just take a moment and, and really just in quiet and silence to uh, pray. I know many of you are walking through terrible things. We had three families in the hospital on Friday going through different things. So uh, the Lord understands. I, I just love the songs we were singing today. That firm foundation is the truth. I have joy in chaos. I have a peace that makes no sense. So let's just spend some quiet before the Lord. Just speak to us, Lord. We thank you, thank you, Lord, for your comforting presence in this place. We thank you for the great delight and passion you have for Jackson Horn. We thank you, Lord, for George Horn, for Kinsey. Bless them, encourage them, be close to them. You say you are close to the brokenhearted. Be close today. Be close with grandparents. Be close with great-grandparents. Be close to friends and family. Lord, we need you every hour. We need you. But we don't pray that in futility or hopelessness or thinking or wishfully hoping one day you might come to us. We sing that because we know you are here. We need you, and you respond to the needs of your people. So we thank you, Holy Spirit of God for the way you're moving in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church. Thanks for praying with us. Well, we have some really good news today. We have a special guest with us all the way from Kenya. So our missionary, uh, Ryan McIntyre, is actually here with his daughter, Cassidy. So, Ryan, if you would come on up, I, I want to encourage, I asked him if you'd give an update. So please welcome Ryan to the stage. church. Tough crowd. Oh, good morning, everybody. It's always good to be back at Life Spring. Um, probably wondering why we're back. Super last minute decision. 
I think we decided three weeks ago we were coming back two weeks ago. Um, it's just me and Cassidy, so you don't get to see my wife or the rest of the kids. In fact, they're all sick right now, vomiting and stuff, so rough time. Um, Cassidy, man, I remember when he started coming to LifeSpring. I don't even know what year it was, but we were carrying Cassidy like in a baby car seat thing. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, things have been emotional. Um, all right. Okay, we'll get through it. Um, yeah, you guys were talking about uh, losing people. We actually lost one of our staff members last night, one of my coworkers. That... What's the trick? Breathe that we do? Just breathe. Um, so we've had kind of an emotional 24 hours. Um, back to the good stuff. Why are we here? Cassidy uh, is uh, going to be 18 next month in March. Crazy. I can't even believe it. Um, and so she got invited uh, to come back to the U.S. for some uh, honors program scholarship competitions. So we had like three of them. We've been traveling the last two weeks to where we went to Portland, Spokane, Bellingham, all over the place. So it's been super busy, but I'm glad that we got a chance to come here this morning. Um, thought it'd be good to give you an update, kind of what, what 22 is like, what 2023 is holding. Um, 839 children were rescued in 2022 uh, across the three campuses. <clears throat> yep, 305 children gave their lives to the Lord during their time with us. Um, we got our Nakuru social work office going. 18 staff were hired uh, at the beginning of 2022. It's been going great. Um, and, gosh, I keep looking over at Cassidy. Who's <laughs> now you're making, you're, you're crying, you're making me cry again. And um, out of those 839 children, 98 came out of Nakuru. Um, but they're all direct placements, meaning we don't have a rehab center. We weren't able to run them through a rehabilitation program, uh, which means we can only really serve those easy cases. Yeah, we did a lot of um, government partnership cases, care and protection, lost children, things like that. And those are relatively easy to rehome and do home-based care. Um, kids on the street are harder, though. Um, if they've been there any more than a week, uh, they have substance abuse issues. They've got trauma they've suffered. Um, they become more estranged from their families, and you can't just take them home. It'll fail every time. Uh, so that's our heart this year. We feel like the Lord is leading us fully into a rehab center. Uh, it's going to be busy. We've been looking at land options, trying to find a facility. So we'll be praying about that. We need to get um, at least an acre and a half to two acres of land. We would love it if the Lord would provide us with a, a ready-to-go facility, an organization that's either shutting down or wants to hand over their property, that would be ideal because then we wouldn't have to build. Um, we need to hire staff. I think we're adding 20 staff this year, so we'll be up to 38 staff in Nakuru. Uh, so we need counselors, pastors, teachers, cooks, uh, children's homes, parents. So it's going to be busy, but I think it's going to be an amazing year. We're really looking forward to it. So. Thank you guys all for your prayers, your support. It means a lot to us. Thank you. Let's uh, stretch out our hands towards uh, this family. Lord, we thank you for Ryan and Tamara and even what they're walking through. I just heard the story the other day of 15 kids getting dropped off at their doorsteps. Uh, just with trauma and traumatic experiences and yet... Lord, you are placing these leaders, uh, including all this amazing Kenyan staff, that you're placing them uh, in the lives of these uh, little ones to bring your life and your hope in real and very practical ways. Would you strengthen their hands, encourage them, Lord, that they would uh, experience your wholeness and your healing physically, mentally, spiritually, uh, that you would touch this family in such a special way today. We're proud of them, Lord, but oh, the pleasure you must have over your kids. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Again, yeah, amen. Praise the Lord. 
Well, here we go. I get the privilege of opening us up in the book of Esther. So if you got your Bibles, tablets, smartphones, whatever you got, open it up to Esther. Some of you are familiar with this story. I even got a woo. That's, ama- that's the first woo I've ever heard for Esther. So some of you are familiar. Some of you are not. Either way, you're going to enjoy uh, this series. It's probably going to take us, I don't know, about a month to get through this. Uh, I'll tell you what, though, the daily reading plan, which has been so powerful. But every time we get to Esther, I don't know about you, but certain emotions start to rise up as I read Esther, like it's a whole range of emotions. I'll say that there are things that I read in Esther that make me mad. There are things that I read in Esther that make me sad. There's a whole lot of things that we read in Esther, including today, that make me extremely uncomfortable. I mean, it plays with my emotions. It even gets me thinking. By the way, that's a good thing. Did you know it's a good thing if the Bible actually stirs you up? That, that's the idea of the Bible. And not just that it would stir you up intellectually. It's amazing how many of us just keep it at that surface level, right? We just want to use our brains. Allow the Holy Spirit to stir your heart. Does anyone else want to be alive today? Like, if I'm going to be alive today, then stir my heart, not just intellectually, but stir myself emotionally, spiritually. So I'm pretty excited to start today. Happy I get to introduce and kick off this series, but let's pray one more time and then we'll get going. Lord Jesus, speak by the power of your word today. We need you. We need a living word today. We need fresh manna today in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So I've been to Israel a couple of times. Raise your hands if you've ever been to Israel. Yeah. Incredible. Anyone want to go to Israel? Okay, that was a lot of hands. So I've been asking a bunch of churches trying to make this happen. So that kind of gives me a key that I think we need to do it. Now, when you go, both times that I went, there's a couple of key events, a couple of key dates in the history of ancient Israel that are really important to understand when you take that trip. And I remember in the Bible class, I took some Bible classes up, uh, British, uh, Surrey, British Columbia, Pacific Life University different than Life Pacific. It's so funny. But anyways, Pacific Life University, and you learn about these dates in those classes. But the first date is this. You might want to write it down. It's 722 BC. So all you Bible nerds out there, you're like, aha, I know what he's going to say next. 722 BC, that is the fall of the northern tribes, right? The northern kingdom of Israel, those ten tribes, they are led into captivity by the Assyrians. 722 BC. But history continues, and as history often goes, uh, one empire rises, and then the same empire falls, and we know that the Babylonians overtook the Assyrians. And then the Babylonians, now they attack in the southern kingdom, they attack Jerusalem multiple times, a, a few times. Each time, if you remember this, is all written in the Bible. You can read Second Kings to talk uh, to read about this. Each time they bring with them some people into captivity. Again, a lot of this is recorded in the Bible. But then in 587 BC, so you got 722 BC and 587 BC. Now 587 is devastating. This is when the Babylonians come in and they just destroy the entire city of Jerusalem, and it's really devastating because that first temple. Remember the first temple. First temple. Completely destroyed. So 722 and 587. But then Babylon falls to the Persians and Cyrus the Great. Have you heard of Cyrus the Great or King Cyrus? In 539 BC, a Persian empire is established. Now I say all that because that's where the book of Esther is found. The book of Esther is in the city of Susa, a capital of Persia. This is like a hundred years after the Babylonian exile. If you remember anyone familiar with the books Ezra and Nehemiah, have you heard of those? Spoiler alert, guess what our summer series is going to be on this year? Ezra and Nehemiah. I can't wait for that. But it's during Cyrus's, uh, Cyrus the Great's reign. Many people, if, if you read those books, you'll remember this. Many people actually get to return to Jerusalem, right? But many people decide they're actually going to stay. And that's why Esther is not taking place in Jerusalem, but it's taking place again in Susa, capital in the Persian Empire. Now, by now, Cyrus the Great, he's long gone, and we're now to a guy named King Xerxes. So this is where we're going to pick it up. We're going to do the first two chapters 
today. Now, right off the bat, I got to be honest with you. I just got to let you hear this. There are several things in this book, again, that make me extremely uncomfortable. And by the way, that's a good thing because as a Christian, someone who's committed to serving my king, like the rules, the laws, the commands, the decrees of my king, meaning King Jesus, there are some things that happen in these first few chapters with the king of Persia that just do not sit well with me. So if any of what I'm about to share with you bothers you, you are in good company. It bothers me too. All right? So there's a new king in Persia. His name is Xerxes, and we're told in verse 3, in the third year of his reign, he gives a banquet for all his nobles and officials. You're going to notice this guy loves his banquets. He, the military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes and the nobles of the provinces were there. So it's a big banquet. It's a big party. But then this thing continues. It, it tells us after 180 days, he throws another banquet. Listen to this. And as I read this, I'm going to read through several verses here. Just pay attention to the lavish details. It says, for a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and the glory of his majesty. When these days were over, the king gives a banquet. I told you you liked banquets. But this banquet lasts seven days. Anyone been to a banquet lasting seven days before? No way. Uh, seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace. For all the people from the least to the greatest were in the citadel of Susa. The garden had hangings of white and blue linen, fastened with cords of white linen, purple material to silver rings on marble pillars. Are you getting the, the image here? There's couches. I mean, have you ever seen a couch like this? Maybe it's in your living room. I don't know. But there are couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. It continues, wine is served in goblets of gold, each one different from the other. The royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions, for the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. Wow, what a guy. Now it goes on to say, in the seventh day of this party, with him in high spirits from wine, seven days of drinking, he commands the eunuchs to bring his queen, Queen Vashti, before him, as the Bible says, in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But the queen refuses, and all of a sudden the mood changes. Scripture tells us he becomes furious, and he burns with anger. You know, if you've ever struggled with alcohol, if you've struggled with drinking too much alcohol, or maybe you know someone, I think we all know someone maybe who's struggling in this area, you know how this often goes, right? There's a party atmosphere full of laughter, frivolity, silliness, but how quickly it can turn to anger and rage. And if you've ever been in a scene like that, it can happen just like that. Now, if you're here today and you're personally struggling in this, I'm happy you're here. We love you. I love you. We want to support you. I take this so seriously. We, we need to work together. Let's work together. Whatever help you need, whatever program you need to get into, whether it's outpatient or inpatient, AA or NA or Celebrate Recovery, let's take those steps. Now, I understand 18 years into this that ultimately it's you that needs to, or has to take that step. But we want to support you in that. And, and I know this group of people here. There's like about probably 120 people here, and I know most of them. And if this is a struggle, there are so many people in this church right now who want to walk through that struggle with you. That's why we talk about joining a life group, by the way. I've said this before, but we don't get like some special plaque up at the Foursquare headquarters of a bunch of people join a life group. We ask you to join a life group because we need community. You need community. Please don't try to walk through this life alone. 
Also, Celebrate Recovery, we have just down the road an amazing Celebrate Recovery at Faith Family Church over in Milton. It's every Monday night, 6.30 p.m. Uh, Joe and Tara Henderson, if you'd raise your hands in the corner, uh, that's where often the woos come from. <laughs> but they, there it is. But I just want to encourage you, if you have any questions about that, any questions at all, Joe and Tara would love to talk to you about Celebrate Recovery. Because in this story, again, I think it's just obvious, alcohol is playing a part. And I say that because it's in an intoxicated state that the mood changes, but not just does the mood change, things begin to change, and things change rapidly. So here we go. The queen refuses to be paraded in front of the guests. The king is livid, and right away he now consults the experts in matters of law and justice. Why? Because she has not obeyed his command. So I want to read some more verses. Then Mimukan replied in the presence of the king and the nobles, Queen Vashti has done wrong. Not only against the king, but also against all the nobles and the people of all the provinces of King Xerxes. For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women, and so they will despise their husbands and say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. This very day, the Persian and Median women of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end of disrespect and discord. Therefore, if it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree. Let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media, which cannot be repealed, that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. Also let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. Then when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout all his vast realm, all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. Give me a break. Does this bother anybody else this morning? I told you some of this was going to make you uncomfortable. Really, the way that women are treated throughout this book is very unsettling to me. I mean, that a queen doesn't want to be on display as eye candy in front of her intoxicated husband and his guests. Now everyone's freaking out, thinking that all women everywhere will despise and disrespect their husbands. So their answer is to issue a royal decree put into law, by the way, a law that cannot be repealed, that Vashti is never again allowed into the king's presence. Like, this is going to be the example to all women everywhere to respect their husbands. What in the world? Like, what in the world? What in the world? I don't swear, so I'm just going to say what in the world. It's interesting to read something like this in light of what is happening in our culture. Because there are laws being passed, decisions being made by the experts, the wise people of our land, that are causing me to say, what in the world? What in the world? What in the world? But one thing I've noticed in the Bible, this isn't always true, but it's true a lot. And whether it's here in Esther, or I'm thinking of like Joseph in Egypt, or Daniel in Babylon, even the disciples in Judea and Jerusalem, Paul in the cities he travels to, Paul in Rome. Many of these accounts, by the way, aren't showing us as followers of God how to change laws and decrees. Now, I'm not against that. I was just thinking, I'm thankful that women can vote in our country. I'm thankful that slavery is illegal. I'm thankful that there's time for demonstration and protest. But what I've noticed as I read the Bible, and I've walked through the Bible multiple times now in my life, but so many of these examples in Scripture are examples actually of how you and I can be effective, flourishing, life-giving, joy-filled followers of the Lord while also living in a culture that is writing laws and decrees that maybe don't line up with God and with His kingdom. It's true, and actually a really popular topic right now in pastoral circles is the idea that we are in exile. Have you heard that before? 
We're in exile. And it's important to remember that because we're people of God. We're, we're the kingdom of God. That's our citizenship. Where is our citizenship? It's in heaven with the Lord. And yet, have you noticed our day-to-day lives are being walked out, lived out in a very different kingdom? So again, we're exiles. I've taken great comfort in First Peter. I would encourage you to read First Peter. Listen to chapter 2. This is verses 11 and 12. Peter says this, and I hope we can receive this. He says, friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Keep that up on the screen. He says, again, as foreigners, as exiles, abstain from sinful desires. So, yeah, I get it. You're seeing it all around you. That's maybe the culture you're living in. But for you, child of God, abstain because you know what that does against your soul. It says, live such good lives among the pagans, amongst people that aren't followers of God, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, by the way, as you follow the Lord, yes, you will be accused of doing wrong, but that you would live such a good life for the Lord that they would see what? Your good deeds and church even come to turn and follow the Lord themselves, that one day they would glorify God on the day he visits. Does anyone else want that for the people around you? I don't want anyone to be lost. That they would see our witness and turn to the Lord and give glory to God. And so then the great task for us is how do we do this? How do we live out the kingdom of God? How do we live out his principles, his teachings, his ethics, his way, while living in a culture that probably is thinking and acting much different than us? Even maybe thinking that the way we are living is wrong. Church, get used to it. There's terms that we use and we talk about. They're more than a phrase. They're a way of life. To be a Christian is to be counterculture. Have you ever heard that before? To be counterculture. By the way, this isn't an American issue. This is a world issue. Meaning wherever you are for the last 2,000 years, if you're a follower of Jesus, guess what? You're an exile. You're an exile. And it's just, I don't get it why Christians are freaking out all the time. Join the, it's just been the way it's been forever until Jesus comes back. But as your pastor, I want to encourage you, you can flourish in exile. You can flourish in exile. Read First Peter. Read chapters 2, 3, and 4. He talks about suffering, but he talks about what you can do in the midst of your suffering, the witness you can have for the Lord. It's encouraging. There's so many biblical accounts there to give us rich wisdom, life-changing wisdom on how to live for the Lord, how to live for his kingdom while in exile. Again, you see this in Esther. And in Esther, this law is written. And again, maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's a ridiculous law. (laughs) The decree is sent out. It's sent out, by the way, to all the provinces, 127 provinces, different languages, proclaiming, verse 22, that every man should be the ruler over his own household using his native tongue. All right, moving on. Chapter two. Later. Everybody say later. This is important. When King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young, man, I hate reading this, all these beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Jeez Louise. Let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the king eunuch who is in charge of the women and let beauty treatments be given to them then let the young women woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti and this advice appealed to the king and he followed it now chapter 2 starts with later and I made you all say that because here's the deal later most scholars say quite a bit has happened between chapter 1 and chapter 2 
some more historical context for you. This is probably all unfolding during the Greco-Persian Wars. You've probably heard of those before, Greco-Persian Wars. This was started by King Darius, Xerxes' dad. King Darius goes into Greece. He's pretty successful. He comes in. He conquers, just runs over Athens. He almost runs over the entire uh, area, but then Greece gets their act together. They put together a series of victories, and they begin to push uh, Xerxes out. Now, the crazy thing about Xerxes is they actually think that he physically went there. They also think that he amassed one of the largest armies ever amassed at that time, possibly hundreds of thousands of men. But now they're all retreating. They have to leave Europe. And that's a way oversimplification of what happened. But many theologians say that this Esther 2, that Xerxes, he is now coming back from that campaign. You even have an outside source from the Greek uh, historian Herodotus, and he says that the king went back, went back from this uh, encounter, this conflict, went back to comfort himself with his harem. So that's where we're at in chapter 2. Chapter 2, you got a couple of characters introduced, Mordecai and Esther. Mordecai and Esther. They're both Jewish. They're cousins. You read that Mordecai raised Esther because her parents are gone. She's an orphan. But now Esther is in the king's harem. Uh, The Bible says they have to complete 12 months of beauty treatments before spending one night with the king. 12 months of beauty treatments before, before spending one night with the king, and then that's it. That's it. It says in the morning they go to another part of the harem. They live out the rest of their lives with these other concubines. And the Bible says she would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. All right, so now it's Esther's turn. We're in verse 17. The king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head, made her queen instead of Vashti, and the king gave a great banquet. I told you he's into banquets. He gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces, distributed gifts with royal liberality. If I had a banner, the banner would say, Esther is now queen. Because we made it. Esther's queen. As awkward, as unsettling, as uncomfortable as it all is, we've now made it to where a Jewish woman, a follower of Yahweh, is now a queen in the Persian Empire. And this is a really big deal. We've got eight more chapters to go. We'll cover those in the weeks to come. And this is a pivotal part of this story. But this is what I was thinking about this week, church, and this is what I want to spend the rest of my time talking to you about, is the question that I was asking myself was, how did she get there? Is this all happening by chance? Is this all happening kind of just mere luck or coincidence? Or is there a God who is working behind the scenes? If you're more on the coincidence side of things, buckle up, because there are going to be a whole lot of coincidences that happen in the next eight chapters. In fact, the very end of chapter two, you can read it for yourself, but Mordecai just happens to be sitting at the king's gate. Remember this? He's at the king's gate. He happens to overhear two of the king's officers who are guarding the doorway. They're like getting angry, and they're coming up with this plan to assassinate the king. Mordecai finds out. He tells Queen Esther. The men are killed. The credit's given to Mordecai. It's even written in the book, their history book, the book of Annals, about what Mordecai had done. Now, is it a coincidence that Mordecai was at the king's gate? Is it a coincidence that he overhears these two men talking about killing the king? Is it a coincidence that Esther is now in her position as queen and uh, able to give Mordecai credit to where his name is now written in a history book? Is it coincidence where later in this story when the king can't sleep, he's having a tough night, so he calls somebody to come in and read the book of history, the book of Chronicles and the Annals out loud to him? Is it a coincidence when he gets to the part about Mordecai stopping his assassination and he asks, hey, has Mordecai ever been honored and recognize for any of this is that all a series of coincidences (laughs) no (laughs) right or is it as each piece gets unveiled as each move unfolds i think you see a lot less of coincidence and a lot more the providence of god that god is working behind the scenes And I say all this because I want to leave you with some encouragement. I'm a pastor. That's what we're supposed to do. See, if you're struggling, and I know many of you are struggling right now, 
And if you're struggling to see where God is at work, how God is at work, and not just in your own life, but also as you look at the events in this world, if you're struggling, I, I want to encourage you, this book, and even as we go through the next few weeks, this book, it reminds us, as uncomfortable as it all is, as it is, as unsettling the situations that each of us are facing, where everything around you seems wrong, seems unfair, that you can trust that there is a God who is still working, even when you can't see it, even when you can't feel it. By the way, in this book, it's unique in all the books of the Old Testament because the name of God is never mentioned in the book of Esther. Did you know that? Every other book in the Old Testament, his name is mentioned, and yet it's never mentioned in the book of Esther. And though his name is never mentioned, you can see his fingerprints all over it, can't you? See, God is working, church. God is working. And by the way, that doesn't mean you still don't have a a lot of questions. It doesn't mean that there isn't still a great mystery to life. And oh my goodness, life can be so heavy. So much loss, as Ryan just talked about. So much death. Awful things happening all the time. You know, as a pastor, the pain, the heartbreak, the devastation that comes through my phone every week. And not just once a week, but multiple times a week. Week after week. Month after month. Year after year. Things that I don't have the answers for. Things that I don't completely understand. It is unsettling. It stirs up your emotions. It, I mean, all of the emotions. It makes you mad. It makes you angry. It breaks your heart. It makes you sad. But I know this. In the midst of it all, I know that I know that I know. In the most horrific situations, I've come to trust this in my core. Like this is in my very gut that I know there is a God. And he's a good God. He's a loving God. And even when I can't feel it, even when I can't see it, I know that God is working. I mean, that's why you're here today. Because you believe in the Lord. And actually, as we get ready to close, I I was thinking, I got like five, ten minutes left here. But I was thinking it would be good just to allow the Lord to remind all of us, even in the midst of the challenges you're walking through. Because... You are walking through very hard things, challenges right now. But I think the Spirit of God wants to remind all of us of those coincidences. You know what I'm talking about, the coincidences in our life. Because sometimes you can just get focused in a vein of thinking and thought process that can be so unhealthy for us. But it's almost like you need to take a step back. You know what I'm talking about? Take a step back. Get out the sticky notes and just begin to take inventory of what the Lord has done in your life. Have you ever done that before? I mean, it's mind-blowing, really, to think of all the ways the Lord has helped you along the way in ways that you didn't deserve, right? Have you ever just been blown away by, oh, my God, you are so good to us. Just last night, we're trying to go to Idaho today after church, and we found out that our coolant was leaking. So badly, by the way, we put the coolant in, and three hours later, it said we were out of coolant. So we're like, we can't go to Idaho. But then we're like, well, let's stop by the Larson dealership. And so we stopped at the Larson dealership. No cars are in the thing. So they said, well, we can see you. And then they said, well, these are all the things that are wrong. But you have a warranty that covers all of it as long as the vehicle is under 72,000 miles. And our vehicle was at 71 and 800. Come on. And the lady said something like, you got really lucky. I said, no, that's a miracle. (laughs) That's a miracle. And so just to help you to begin to think about this in your own life. I'm going to close with something I think should be kind of fun. I'm going to give you like this 30,000 foot level of my life. I'm 42 years old. I'm going to give you some of the highlights. Just share some of those coincidences along the way to make sure I don't talk too long. I've given myself a timer. So, so we're going five minutes here. Uh, this also means I'm going to talk really fast. So, okay. Oh, my shoes untied. Just a second. That is not included in the time, by the way. All right. 
All right. So I just happened to be born to Cliff and Jackie Bursch uh, 42 years ago, and I just happened to be the youngest of five kids. There's two older brothers, two older sisters. I just happened to play basketball growing up because all my siblings played basketball, and guess what? I wanted to be better than them all. I also played piano at an early age. You know why? We just happened to have a piano in the house, and all my siblings played the piano, and I wanted to be better than them all. In high school, I played basketball. I just happened to be put in the starting lineup as a junior because the starting point guard got really mad during a game. He punched a bench, broke his hand, and they never took me out again. For the next year and a half, I continued to play because I was really good at scoring points, which is kind of the object of the game. I kept on playing piano. But then the choir director or choir teacher at the high school happened to find out about me and asked if I would play for the school jazz choir. When I went to college, I gave up basketball, went to Green River Community College, focusing on getting good grades. But my high school choir teacher just happened to tell one of the music professors at the college that I played piano. Drove me up there even, and I ended up playing the piano for all the choirs there, the musicals at Green River, as well as a community choir in Renton. But then the Auburn Riverside High School basketball coach happened to ask me to be the assistant basketball coach. So I did that for a year. But then I started telling people, I don't know why, but I started telling people that if the coach resigned, I was going to the University of Wyoming. Well, guess what? One day he took me to Longhorn Barbecue in Auburn. It's not even there anymore. And he said, I'm quitting. And I said, well, guess what? I'm going to the University of Wyoming. And I did. I went to Wyoming. Are you kidding me? The first day at the University of Wyoming, I went to this event where all the campus groups are there. And they all have their tables set up. I go to the first table there, which was InterVarsity Campus Fellowship. And I said, hi, I want to join your group. They were very introverted and it scared them to death. But it was awesome. The next three years, I was heavily involved in InterVarsity, even a leader in InterVarsity. My last year of college, InterVarsity just happened to have a guest speaker come talk about the 1040 window, which is an area of the world that is pretty unreached as far as Christianity is concerned. And I just happened to be at that meeting. It moved my heart so much that I decided I wanted to be a doctor in the Middle East and I was going to shine the light of Christ through practicing medicine. I took my parents, and my dad is here today, I took them out to dinner at Bahama Breeze over by South Center Mall on my break, and I told them about my plan. My parents are crazy, and they agreed to it. I then signed up for a year-long perspectives course, one-year-long perspectives course down in Los Angeles to learn about all these different religions before going to medical school. But during the first week of school, I just happened to already be committed to playing two concerts for that community choir in Renton. And so the school denied my application. They said, you can't go because you have to be there for the first week. I was devastated. I was so very crushed. But then my wonderful brother, Doug, he found out about all this. And without me knowing, he calls the vice president of our denomination of Foursquare. He let him know that I had a year to fill before attending medical school. The vice president's wife just happened to have a brother who was a pastor of this ginormous church in Spokane who just happened to have two different churches that were looking for an intern. So she called him without me even knowing. And all of a sudden, I got two voicemails on my answering machine in Laramie, Wyoming, from two different churches in Spokane saying they had heard that I was looking for an internship, which I I wasn't, but hey, why not? So I graduated with my pre-med biology degree, moved to Spokane to start a year-long internship, realizing I was being called to be a pastor instead of a doctor. At the same time as I moved to Spokane, there just happened to be the cutest little lady who ever lived who had just come back to the Lord. She started attending with her three-year-old boy, the same church where I was starting my internship. Glory to God. Six months later, that church hired me. We started dating, and you know the rest of that story. After Five and a half years of working at that church, Mary and I felt the Lord was stirring us, calling us to do a ministry in a small town somewhere. We just had no idea where. But then I happened, just happened, to attend a conference at Motion Church, back then Puyallup Foursquare, and a man named Lance Powers, the pastor of Puget Sound Christian Center, just happened to say, if it isn't the world's greatest worship leader, in front of a very large crowd of senior pastors. So I said, well, it's the world's greatest worship leaders looking for a job. I got like four interviews on the spot. Most of them were not what I was looking for, but one of those interviews happened to be with a guy named Chad Skilperor, who pastored in Edgewood, Washington, and he met with me, and he told me he could only afford to pay me part-time for six months with no guarantee beyond that. He shared his heart at Java Joe's, a coffee shop that doesn't even exist anymore, but it just happened to be the same things that I had written down on a piece of paper the night before. And so January of 2010... My little family with a three-month-old baby girl, we moved to, and there she is right there. We moved to Edgewood, Washington Church. Are you kidding me? Glory to God. Glory to God. Man, with time to spare.
And that gets me to 2010. I mean, of course, in the last 13 years, God has done so much. I mean, we could all tell these stories, hundreds of coincidences. I even think about how Jeremy got here or my different staff got here. Just to give you a couple quick ones. Braden, where's Braden? Braden is in the back. Braden works full time here. I just happened to be teaching a Bible class at Northwest Church. You know why I was teaching that class? Because my supervisor at the time, Dave Veach, said, Dan, I think you need to start teaching. And the very next day, Northwest Church called me and asked if I would teach a class. And so I said yes. And Braden just happened to be taking that class. And that's when the Lord told him and his wife that they were supposed to quit their two full-time jobs, move out of the parsonage, and follow me here at LifeSpring. Glory to God. Or I think about this incredible man, one of my best friends, Jesse Mendoza. My, my wife just happened to be, we're around, remember the island at our kitchen, and, and she's telling me, you know, Dan, I feel like the next person you're supposed to hire is someone that you don't know, which I totally laughed at because I only hire people that I know. That's, that's how, I'm a relational guy. Like, how scary to hire someone that you don't know and yet that's what she heard from the lord so i'm like okay well what does that mean so out of the blue i text this guy former classmate from my master's program at life pacific university down in southern california who was a missionary in belize who now is pastoring in michigan the only person i know who lives in michigan and so i text this guy Around the kitchen island, I just say, do you know anyone looking for a ministry job in Edgewood, Washington? He just happened to be in a meeting with this guy named Jesse Mendoza, breaking the terrible news that he could not pay Jesse to stay on staff because they had some expensive building repairs. And so that he and his amazing wife, Debbie, were going to need to transition. Welcome to Edgewood, baby. <laughs> I mean, it goes on and on and on. I mean, even how we ended up here at this church is a real miracle. The story of One Hope and Life Spring merging again. I mean, is it a bunch of coincidences or is it the hand of God? Is it the hand of God? And I get it. Like, I get it. It doesn't explain away all the terrible things that happen in life. Again, life can be very unfair, very cruel. I have attended way too many funerals. I know you continue to face hard things, unsettling things, like the story today, uncomfortable things. But through it all, church, through it all, I want to encourage you, whatever you're facing, you can trust in the Lord. Again, I love the songs that we sang today. You can trust in the Lord. He loves you. He's for you. And even though you don't always see it, he is working. I, I didn't know if I was going to do this or not. I don't even think we have the lyrics for this, but we're going to make it work. You should have worn taller heels today. <laughs> Stop. 
trust in you. We've learned to depend upon the Lord. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Worship team, you can come on up. I just want to pray for you, church. Lord, I thank you for each person that's here. There's no accidents in this room today. You called us to be here, to hear from you, Lord, to hear from your heart. And there are things that we still do not understand. There's things that we can still not uh, explain. There are devastating, crushingly hard things that so many people in this room are walking through. And yet, God, through it all, we can trust in you, Lord. Through it all, we can depend upon you, Lord. We can depend upon your spirit. We can depend upon your word. Lord, would you speak that word to them, Lord, as they're facing hospital visits, as they're facing relational strife, as they're facing economic uh, uh, insecurity and, and hardship, Lord, as they're facing all these things, Lord, would you encourage every person in this room by your spirit, spirit, fall on this place right now, encourage them, Lord, that through it all, they can trust in you, Lord, they can trust in you, Jesus, they can trust in you, Lord. Even as I'm praying, Lord, my heart is for the one that doesn't know you, Jesus. If there's anyone in this room who has never said yes to Jesus before, run to him today. All you have to do is turn to him. Turn from the way you're living and turn to him. Uh, the Bible says that just repent and be baptized. That's what Peter tells the group. They go, what are we going to do? What must we do? He says, repent and be baptized. Repent of your sins. Say, God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me by your son's death and his resurrection. Forgive me. Wash me clean forgive me of my sins and the Lord says he will come and flood you with his presence flood you with his hope flood you with his joy and flood you with his eternal life and I just pray that there be people in this room right now who would say yes to Jesus it can change your life forever and ever and for the rest of us I get it you've taken punches I get it some of you feel like you can hardly breathe this morning but Lord breath of God breathe in this place again give us the air that we need to breathe again. Comfort us, Lord, in our distress. Be close to the brokenhearted and lead us well, because we know that for such a time as this, you have called us to be here, Lord. For such a time as this, you have placed us on this earth, and we do not have to live in fear or worry or anxiety, but we can be bold and courageous in you, Jesus, because you have us here on purpose, with a purpose, by purpose. And I just pray that over each person here, Lord, today that these are not a series of uh, coincidences. We are not here by mere luck or some random act of evolution. We are here because God designed us to be here. And we trust in you today, Lord. We trust in you, Jesus. We trust in you, Lord. You are moving. You are working. And I believe, Lord, that you're never going to stop working. And in all God's people said, amen and amen. Praise the Lord.